I'm going to read our scripture this morning. We just have three verses. Um, in fact, I'm going to invite our guest speaker up right now. Paul Garricky uh, is a missionary to Romania. He's going to tell us a little bit about that, so I don't want to say too much about that. Um, but it's so awesome to see the work of Paul's life. And I see your parents are sitting right in the middle there. I spotted them earlier, Hal and Barb Garricky, and, uh, and I've got a long-term connection with them as well. So it's so cool just to see how God continues his activity in our lives, even over the years. And so I want to read these verses, and I want to pray for you, and then it's, uh, you can have the pulpit there. Hebrews 11, verse 12, first of all. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. And then Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks for Paul and Tanya this morning. We thank you for the call that you've placed on their lives and how for eight years now they've just been serving you faithfully. And so, Father, we pray that even as this home assignment uh, comes to an end, we pray that as they uh, prepare to return to Romania in mid-May, that you would just um, go before them, that uh, all the details that need to take place and fall into place will Mm -hmm. happen. But, Lord, just as they would experience your continued good pleasure, um, your calling on their lives, Mm -hmm. and just that they're living into uh, the exact thing that you have designed them for and that they find themselves flourishing in that and as a result this ministry flourishing as well Mm. Um, father we know that that's your heart and so bless him today Mm. anoint his words Mm. may you use him as your spokesperson Mm. as your uh, yeah your spokesperson to speak truth and hope and healing and inspiration into our lives today in jesus name we pray Amen. amen thanks well good morning it's good to be here I hope you're all all doing well. It always is a real pleasure, a blessing to be at Twilliker. I think since being in Romania, we've been in Romania now for uh, close to nine years, eight years. This fall will be nine years. I think this is our third time being at Twilliker, and it just always feels like coming home. You're, you just you love us and care for us. And what's remarkable is we we think about the last eight nine years in Romania. Twilliker has been a church that's been behind us from day one, even before we went out. And so it really does feel like we're partners in ministry. And so it's so good to be here. Thanks for allowing me to be here. Tanya would love to be here too. She's in Chicago. She got to go there uh, this week and I got to come be here with you. And I think I won out on that one. So, um, but she would love to be here. And certainly she also says, says hi to you and extends her love. But I want to do a couple things this morning. One is give a bit of a ministry update on what's going on in Romania to kind of share with you since you're all partners in ministry. And one of the things we want to do is thank you for being partners in ministry. But if you're partners in ministry, you need to know what's going on in what you're partnering with and how we've been able to extend God's 
God's kingdom uh, even in other parts of this world. And so I want to share a little bit about that and then kind of land in a place of what's God doing in our midst because of that. But the, the neat thing about this morning, I feel like, is it really is a celebration. It's a celebration of, of what God has been doing over these last eight or nine years. Our partnership together, but God's faithfulness in the midst of that. And so I, I want to share a couple stories in the midst of that, of what, what God has been doing in the development of Camp Falcon Rock. That's the main ministry that we're doing is developing year-round ministry where it's a summer camp in the summer, but throughout the year we've got programs and events and conferences going on. But even beyond that, the reach then into the villages and the spread throughout kind of all of northwestern Romania. And so uh, one of the things that we set out to, we can go to the next slide, is setting and developing Camp Falcon Rock. And, and Camp Falcon Rock, if you remember, Tony probably shared this the last time we were here about four years ago. This was kind of the, the vision of Camp Falcon Rock. We wanted to do evangelism. We wanted to do leadership development and discipleship. We wanted to do, have a place of education, a connecting place, and social development. And, and why I say this is a celebration service is that now, eight years after the start of camp, all of those things are taking place. And it's happening. And we celebrate that together. Um, if we pop to the next slide, the heart of what we want to do is share the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the heart of what we do. And if you've been to Camp Caroline or any camp, you know that that's a great place to hear the gospel and have lives transformed. And so we're seeing that. Uh, we're seeing that. Camp, we're running right now about 60 kids per week in the summer. And we're running uh, from mid-June all the way till mid-September, fully booked. Um, that's good. Praise the Lord for that. The bad thing in that is that we're actually turning kids away. We can't even advertise um, because we would be, we're, we just can't go past 60 kids per week. Uh, and so we're fully booked mid-June to mid-September. Um, but what we're hearing is that lives are being transformed. Every September, October, I meet with various pastors in our denomination in Romania. And I hear the same story. They'll come to me and be like, hey, we just baptized two, three, four young people that were with you this summer. We hear that all the time. And, and praise the Lord for that. One cool story in that is uh, a young guy who came to camp a number of years ago. Uh, and he only came because his friends were there. He made it very clear he didn't believe in God. But his friends were going, he's going, he doesn't want to be on the farm for the week. So he came to camp with us for the week. At the end of the week, he gave his life to the Lord. He stood up at this campfire, a campfire at this, this place. And he, he shared his testimony, just said, I met God this week. He is real. And then actually extended the invitation to all the other kids there. And was like, I think you should make the same decision because Christ is real. The cool thing about that story is that uh, it didn't just end there. Uh, he went back to his village. He plugged into to youth group. He started to attend some of our youth leadership development courses we were teaching at camp. Went off to Bible school. Uh, he started working at the camp. Uh, and this last year, we heard that he's on the preaching team at his church. Hmm. And so we're seeing that transformation take place, which leads to the next piece, that leadership development and disciple piece. We, we don't want to just have kids hear the gospel, go back to their village, and then they're forgotten about. We want to continue to build into these young people and raising them up into the next generation of leaders. And so we're working very closely with the pastors uh, in these villages uh, surrounding the camp. And so we're seeing that. Um, you know, this is one of our young leaders who's now one of our full-time worship leaders. I mean, all of these jobs like worship leading, counseling, speaking are from the local leaders, many of whom have now been going to the camp for the last three, four, five, six years. And now it's the next generation. We have a whole generation of leaders. Uh, one really neat story in that was there was a girl 
young girl when we, Tanya and I first arrived in Romania. She was very shy um, and didn't know English, but picked up English really quickly. And so we kind of dr- drug her along and said, uh, hey, you've got to be one of our translators. And, uh, and she loved it. She did such a great job as shy as she was. But the Lord just worked in her heart. And as she kind of came along to these programs and stepped into key, key leadership roles, we just saw her kind of make her way up from translator to counselor to even speaking at the camp. And then she became one of our key uh, leaders. And then she went off to Bible school. And then since Tanya and I were away, we were able to hire her uh, on our NAB team. And she's on the Camp Falcon Rock team. She's on the NAB team taking a lot of the work off of Tanya and I. And so we're seeing that in this next generation. Uh, the next piece is, is education. Um, and one of the key focal points of the camp is it, it can be this education center where young people come and they learn English and they take that back to their villages and that's really helpful for them uh, in the advancement of, of jobs and, and their education journey. The other exciting thing is that we've partnered with our local seminary. And so even in this picture, these are a number of our seminary students that need to learn English and they need to learn English for a couple of reasons. One is a lot of the biblical resources are in English, and so it helps them theologically, um, but also even in developing partnerships with NAB churches back in North America. And so we've been working with our seminary students for a number of years, and they come up to the camp and they learn English, and it's been great to see them step into to pastoral roles coming out of that. Um, the fourth piece is that camp becomes this connecting place. That's our main lodge. Uh, we've been working on that for the last number of years. It's a huge building. Uh, it's not quite finished. We still have about a year or two left, Lord willing. Um, but this last September, we had a Thanksgiving Day service um, where even though the lodge wasn't finished, a thousand people came out for it and we're, we were in this building together. Um, and so where the camp is located is, is quite strategic in terms of just being able to connect with all of our Hungarian Baptist churches. We have about 200 Hungarian Baptist churches and there's only 45 pastors. Um, and so the camp becomes a, a really um, interesting place to be able to connect all of our pastors, to train them, to raise up new pastors. And it just becomes this connecting focal place. Uh, and then the last thing that, that I want to mention is uh, that camp is, does social development. And what's interesting in social development is we have the Roma population or the gypsy population. We work very closely with them, a lot of um, very difficult situations. Uh, but the Hungarian Baptist churches are doing a really good job to reach out and plant churches and, and run community health evangelism programs in, in a number of these really struggling villages. And so even as an extension of the camp, we've been able to do that, to go into those villages and then bring those kids up to camp uh, and run subsidized programs for them. Uh, we ran a camp a, a few or every summer, but last summer, and it was the first time many of these children had even ever had a hot meal. Uh, and so they get to come to the camp and, and participate in that and then go back to their villages. What's been unique, as you all know, and even as we talked about this morning and prayed about this morning, is uh, we had to pivot this last year due to the war in Ukraine. And that's certainly been a very difficult reality. And, and it's encouraging to hear what TCC has been doing in the midst of that. And Tony and I even had the, the privilege of working with the Humphreys and um, to, to, to work with some of our refugees that, that came to Canada. Um, but the camp was able to pivot. And since we had the, the resources, we had the facility, we could host a number of refugees for a number of months. And so the camp was full um, with Ukrainian refugees. Um, and then even in turn... Because camp is about 150 kilometers to the Ukraine border, we would go into Ukraine. 
And so this picture here was us filling up our trucks with fridges and stoves, um, dish, um, washing machines and food. And we would go into Ukraine and work with local pastors who were setting up refugee centers in Ukraine, in western Ukraine, where it's a little more safe. And, and so we went in there a number of times to be able to, to resource them. Very difficult season and very difficult stories. We heard a, a terrible story this morning, and we, we faced that daily as we met with, with Ukrainians uh, who, who had to leave behind husbands or children who were in the war. Um, and, and everybody was impacted at a deep, deep level, and they continue to be. Um, but what's interesting is even in the midst of that and the devastation, and we continue to pray for peace for that, we continue to pray that the war would end, even in the midst of that, God was still working. And lives were being transformed. Um, if you go to the next slide, um, it, it was really interesting because we had a number of Nigerian students who were studying in Odessa. So they were in Ukraine. And, and as the war started, they, they couldn't certainly finish their education. And so they had to go somewhere. So we received them at the camp. And, and one young girl uh, who was in Ukraine was going to get baptized right before the war started. She had given her life to the Lord and said, I'm, I'm making this commitment. I'm going to get baptized um, the war started and she couldn't do that. And so she came to camp and she came to us and just processed that. Like, what was God doing in her life that, that she made this commitment, wanted to get baptized, and that that wasn't even a, a possibility anymore? And so, so we met with her, we prayed with her, and she said, I still want to make that commitment. And so the first baptism we ever had at Camp Falcon Rock was this Nigerian who had been uh, in Ukraine and came out as a refugee and gave her life to the Lord and was baptized in one of our hot tubs there. <laughs> And so God is still in the move, even in the devastation. We just saw that. We met with Ukrainian refugees who gave their lives to the Lord, even in the midst of all that was going on. Um, and, and so, you know, it's, it's interesting. There's kind of this, this saying that, that comes to mind, and, and we've been talking about it a lot in, in Romania, where, where, you know, you say we've often overestimate what we can do in one or two years, but we underestimate what God can do in ten and that's just been the reality in Romania that, you know, in those first couple of years, it just took so long to toil the ground, to build the buildings, to get things going. And I think we just went with these minds that Camp Falcon Rock would be developed in year one. Uh, and we overestimated what we could do in, in those first couple of years. But now, eight, nine years later, we look back and, and God has done immeasurably more than we could have ever asked or imagined. And the stories and the testimonies and the transformed lives. And so I just share that to celebrate that with you, that, that TCC has been such big supporters of the work in Romania, that that is happening because of your support. And um, the last thing I want to share is just a, a verse from Ephesians chapter 3, where it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We give God the glory for all that he's doing, and he certainly has done immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. And so we get to celebrate that with you this morning. Um, so thank you for being such key partners in that, for praying for us, for supporting us, for thinking of us, for being with us in this entire journey. Um, so that, that's a bit of a recap uh, on what's been going on. It's really hard. I think um, one of the hardest jobs of a missionary um, is to come and just try and communicate in, in a short time all that God is doing and all that he's doing overseas. And so one of the things that we did to help with that over this last season was um, we had someone come out to kind of capture the stories and, and tell the story of what God has done. 
And so we have a 23-minute documentary. We're not going to watch it this morning. We are going to watch kind of the, the trailer of it. So it's just three minutes. Um, but I'd encourage you to watch it. Some of you have watched it already. We had a, a bit of a showing a couple weeks ago, and I know, see some faces that were there. But if you want to watch it after you see the three-minute documentary, we'd invite all of you to watch it uh, at the back of um, where we're going to be eating brunch in the back of the church there. Uh, you can get a, uh, a card that has a QR code on it, and you can click that, and it'll take you right to the documentary, and you can watch it at home. So we'd encourage you to do that. Um, and there's more back there if you want to sign up for our prayer list. You can certainly do that too. But I just want to show you sort of the three-minute version of that. Um, and then maybe when you get home later, you can watch the full version. And then after that, I'll, I'll come back up and, and share a little bit from Hebrews 11. So we can watch that video. If you get a chance to watch that, uh, we'd love to share that story with you. Uh, for the last couple minutes that I, I do have this morning, I, I want to share a little bit from Hebrews 11 and 12. And, and I think, you know, as I was thinking about what is it that I'd want to share, what is it that God would be putting on my heart? And it just, it really is in line with what I've been talking about already this morning. And that's just the great work of who God is. And that he is still alive and he's still active. You know, it's interesting growing up in an NAB home, which, which I did, a good Baptist home with a good Baptist pastor, of Norb Jenke, Pastor Norb, who was my pastor when I was young, you know, coming from good, good roots and then stepping into Bible school and having a call to ministry. You know, there, there's even moments in that where you're like, uh, and maybe it's just me, you're like, is God even real? You know, the, you have those moments or you, you have those circumstances that are hard and difficult and you're like... How do I reconcile what I'm experiencing in this broken world with who God is? I think we experience that at times. And, and, I, and I need to say, you know, as I was thinking and praying about what to share, uh, God just reminded me that, you know, of all that he's done in this last eight years. And, and there's, if, if there's anything I can say, and maybe it's just too simplistic, but it's that God is still alive and he's still active, that God is still moving, that he's still in our midst. And I can't deny now after eight years of being in Romania that he exists because I've seen him work over and over again in so many miraculous ways. If I had an hour, I could tell you an hour worth of stories of God doing that. You know, one quick story that I have many more of these uh, not that long ago when we were building our main lodge where all of our time, all of our resources are, is going to that building because as I said before, we have about 70, 60, 70 young people coming to camp and we could increase that. So as soon as the main lodge is done, we could have, you know, 30 more, 40 more. Um, so we've been building that building and all of our time resources goes to that. And then all of a sudden there's a piece of land that's attached to our camp that we always wanted and always needed came up for sale. And so we went and met with the farmer who was selling it, and he told us how much it was. And we all thought, oh, that's a lot of money. We don't have those funds. And we talked as a board, what should we do? Should we buy it? And I said, you know, honestly, we just don't have those funds. Like, all the funds that are coming are going to our main lodge. There's no way we can buy this piece of land. And we prayed about it. We discerned, and the board said, we're going to go in faith. We've got to buy this piece of land. It's really strategic ministry-wise. And so we said yes to that. A week later... Now, let me say, I grew up in an A.B. home where I heard a lot of missionary stories, um, and I didn't always believe them. I became cynical. I'm like, there's no way that story is true. This is a true story, um, so take it for what it is. Um, but a week later, I get a phone call from someone in Canada. He's like, hey, tell me about all the projects going on in Romania. And so I told them, all oh, the main lodge is coming along, talked a lot, and kind of got to the end of the conversation. I said, oh, and actually, we're, we're thinking about buying this piece of land. He said, how much is it? And I told him, he said, okay. Hangs up the phone, calls me back 10 minutes later. He's like, I had to chat with my wife. Um, but we just sold a piece of land in Canada, and the amount that we want to tithe off it is the exact same amount that that land is worth. So we're going we're gonna to buy that. I, I mean, that's the Lord. 
And, and I have more stories than that, but it's, we've just seen him work over and over and over again. And, and we read this powerful passage in Hebrews 11 with, with about faith. And so Hebrews 11, if I was to ask you, what's the theme of, of Hebrews 11? You'd say, well, it's faith. That's the, that's the theme. And when you look at verse 1, verse 1 says this. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance in what we do not see. It's the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance in what we do not see. I want to break those up for, two, for a couple minutes and talk about both those independently. The confidence in what we hope for, assurance in what we do not see. And I want to start with the second one, the assurance in what we do not see. So the major theme of Hebrews 11 is faith. There's actually a sub-theme to that underneath that we often miss. And it has to do with what you can see and what you can't see. The visible, the invisible. 26 times the word faith is used in Hebrews 11. About half as many times, 13, 14 times, either the word visible, invisible, seen, unseen is used. Come with me really quickly through Hebrews 11 and we'll see it. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. 5 and 6, we read about Enoch seeking the unseen God. Verse 7, it says, by faith Noah being warned by God concerning events yet unseen goes and builds an ark. Abraham goes to the place he doesn't know. He can't see yet. Verse 10, they're looking ahead to the city whose builder is God. Verse 11 and 12, we read about Abraham and Sarah. What was visible to Abraham and Sarah? Their sickness, their inability to have children, their age. That's what was visible. What's invisible? The promises of God. The things they couldn't see yet. Verse 13, it talks about how they had to believe in the things they could not see. Isaac and Jacob, a little bit later, we read about two blind men at their age. The end of their age, end of their lives, they're blind. They cannot see physically, but they're speaking a prophetic word into the future. The things they cannot see. Moses' parents in verse 23 says they see no ordinary child. Moses perseveres in verse 27. Why? He saw him who was invisible. Faith is the assurance of what we do not see. So the question for us in that is, what are those things that we actually can't see, but God is calling us to have faith into? I remember in those first couple years of Romania, it took a while to get things going. And one of our first buildings we had on site that we developed was called our existing building. Why? Because it was one of the only buildings existing. It's a really interesting name, creative. It's still called the existing building, even though we have many more buildings. It's the only one that says the existing building. But it was really interesting because we were working on that building. And I remember we were about year two, year, year and a half, two years in. And I was there with the camp director, Tomish, and, and we have sledgehammers. And we're tearing down the only building that we have on site because we needed to add on to it and renovate it. And it was a really hard moment because I'm looking at where all the cabins should go and the main lodge should go and where the kids should be in the playing field. And all I'm doing is tearing down the only building on site, our existing building. So demoralizing. And I remember the Lord speaking to me in that moment saying, do you have faith for the things you can't see yet? I mean, we look back now with cabins and a main lodge and kids on site and an existing building that's existing. And, and we just see that it's there now. But the challenge for us is what is it that, that we can't see that God is telling us to have faith on? Maybe that's just the reality of who God is. Maybe it's a hard time. Maybe it's, maybe it's just a, a reality and a promise and a prophetic word. So faith is the assurance of the things that we cannot see. Part one, faith is the confidence in what we hope for. It's the confidence in what we hope for. This, this Greek word confidence um, actually has a bit of a different sense in the Greek. And it's this word hypostasis. 
which has more of a reality to it. It's more of a substance. There's actually something there. I think so often when we think about faith, we think of it subjectively. If I have enough faith in something, then something will come to be. If I have enough faith, the Oilers will win the Stanley Cup. They'll win the Stanley Cup. They haven't in 33 years. Hopefully this year they will. My faith has no uh, bearing on whether the Oilers win or lose for whatever reason. Yeah, let me give you this example that, that a pastor in Toronto, Charles Price, talked about. You know, I think faith often is this idea of, of ice. You know, think about one or two centimeters of ice over a lake. If you step out onto it, what happens? It breaks. It's compromised. Yet you have six feet worth of ice. You step out onto it. I mean, you can run on it. You can jump on it. You can drive on it, and it's fine. The object of the faith is really important. I could have all the faith in the world that that one centimeter of ice will hold me up. But the object is weak. At the same time, even six feet, I could step out so gingerly. Doesn't matter how I step out onto it. It's still faith. It's still, it's, it's still true. It's still strong. So the question for us then is, what is the object of our faith? And when we read Hebrews 11, I think so often we're, we're struck by the men and women of faith, which we should be. They're great stories. They're great examples for us. But what we miss is actually the real object of the faith. What we really miss is who God is, that God is a faithful God. With me through Hebrews 11 again really quick. When we're reading Hebrews 11, we, we read what the object of the faith was for these faith individuals. The universe was formed at whose commands? God's command. Verse 4, offering was made to who? God. Verse 5, Enoch seeks who? God. Verse 7, who warns Noah? God. Verse 8, who calls Abraham? God. Verse 10, God is the builder of the future city. Verse 11, Sarah considers God faithful. Verse 19, Abraham reasons God will raise Isaac from the dead. Verse 30, who makes the walls of Jericho fall? God. What is the object of their faith? God. A couple of years ago, when we were in Romania, I had to go have back surgery, and it was a stressful time for us, and we had to go to Germany for the, the surgery, and the night before the surgery, I had to sign all these papers about not suing the doctors if I couldn't walk coming out of surgery. Very concerning. And, and I remember the night before just bringing that to the Lord, being more afraid than I thought I would be. You know, I was, I'm a good missionary. I love the Lord, yet I was quite afraid. And I remember the Lord challenging me, being like, what's your faith actually in? You know, like, is it in this operation going well? Is it in the doctor being successful? Is it in you being able to walk again? I'm like, I really want those things to happen. And I remember the Lord saying, no, your faith is in me. The results will be the results. I'll take care of those. But your faith ultimately has to be in me. And that's the question for us is, what is the object of our faith? I know my, my time is coming to an end, and I'm trying to speak as fast as possible to get there. Um, but I just want to land in three places in the last couple minutes that we have. Like, what do we do with this? If, if God is ultimately real, if God is ultimately faithful, if he is still to be trusted, if he is still alive and active, what's our response in that? And the writer of Hebrews answers that, and we read it earlier this morning in Hebrews chapter 12. And there's three things that he tells us to do. Number one, run the race with endurance. Run the race with endurance. There's this call for us in our Christian lives to not sprint. Our Christian faith is not a sprint, but it's this marathon that's a long one. And it actually will take us into all of eternity. 
but it's a long one. And the word described there for us is to endure. It's to have perseverance. And so in the difficulties and the struggles, the call is, can we endure that? A number of years ago, in the midst of COVID, we took a number of youth into the mountains for kind of this hiking discipleship trip. And it was really difficult. Um, we'd go up to the top of a mountain, come down a mountain, and we'd stay in, in, the, in the mountains for a number of days. And right at the end of that trip, after about 20, 25, 30 kilometers of being in the mountains, after sleeping in the mountains for a number of days, we came out and we had one last kilometer in a village. And the trip was going to end, the hike was going to end with us getting to this restaurant that was on my GPS. And I trusted my GPS that it would take us there. And I trusted even that the restaurant would be open. But I wasn't certain that those things would be the case. And so we come out of the mountains. It's paved, nice pavement. We have a kilometer to go until we get to the, the restaurant. And we're walking, not really knowing where we're going. And all of a sudden, the hot dog stand pops up. You know, after eating camping food for the last two or three days. And the donut stand pops up after eating camping food for the last two or three days. And our youth are starving and you can see them trying to go to these places. And I was like, guys, we're going to keep going, keep going. And they're like, when are we going to get there? I'm like, honestly, I don't even know. We did find it. We did get there. And I remember we asked the youth, like, what was the hardest part? And they said, oh, by far that last kilometer. And he said, that was the easiest part. Like, we were out of the mountains. It was flat. It was a nice road. And like, yeah, but we didn't know where we were going. We had hot dog stands pop up. We had donut stands pop up. And we're like, Let's use this to teach them. You know, you take your failures as learning lessons. And we just said, that's biblical perseverance. That's it. We just keep going. It's one step in front of the other. You just keep persevering. The writer of Hebrews says, how do you do that? By number two, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's where we look to. We fix our eyes on Christ. And it's that beautiful picture of, of Peter jumping out of the boat. And as he looks at Christ, he can walk on the water. The moment he looks at the wind and the waves, that's when he begins to sink. And so the question for us then is, where are our eyes? One of the, the realities for us in Romania is that many of our young people, as you heard in that video, their parents have to go elsewhere to work. And so Tanya and I have become parents to many of these young people, which means we get the pleasure of teaching some of them how to drive. And there was one of our youth who was terrible. She was, she was terrible. And honestly, any tree that would come up, she'd try and like aim for it. And I was like, why, like, why are you going that way? And she's like, because the, the trees are scary. And I'm like, well, well, where are you looking? She's like, what? The big scary trees. I'm like, that's your problem. Like you look at the big scary trees, you're going to hit the big scary trees. You look at the road, you're just going to stay on the road. Now, I'm not trying to minimize, like, our life is filled with big, scary trees. Our life is filled with wind and waves and storms, really big ones. I'm not diminishing that. We live in a broken world. But in the midst of that brokenness, in the midst of that storm, in the midst of the big, scary trees, I do ask us, where are our eyes? Like, what are we ultimately focused on? Are we focused on Christ? And then the last thing the writer of Hebrews says, is looking to Jesus who is what? The author and perfecter of our faith. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. I think for those of us that know Jesus, we would say, yes, it's Christ who, who, who saved us. I mean, we just came out of Easter, right? It was, it was his death, his resurrection. That brought us new life. That brought us forgiveness of sin. It's everything Christ has done. And if you don't know Christ... Let me say from the pulpit, it's everything Christ has done that can save you. 
And so I think collectively we can say, yeah, Christ is the author of our faith. How often, though, do we say he's also the the perfecter of it? Like, I think so often we give our lives to the Lord, and then it's like, okay, I need to get everything in order on my own strength, my own ability to live this perfect life that he's calling me to live. But the writer of Hebrews says, no, that's not what faith is. Faith is seeing Christ not only as the author of your faith, but actually the perfecter of your faith. That the formation of your life is the work of Christ in you. The sanctification is the work of Christ in you. A number of years ago, we were, we were at the camp, and I was there with a seminary student, and uh, we just had finished some cabins, and we were walking down um, the hill, and he turned to me. He's 21 years old. He turned to me and said, you know, I can't wait for my grandchildren to be on this property. And I looked at him like, Donnie, you're not married, nor do you have kids. I'm fairly sure you don't have grandkids yet. He's like, no, you don't understand. And I'm like, I really don't understand. He's like, my grandchildren will be on this property and their grandchildren will be on this property. Like this is a generational long ministry. This isn't a ministry that's here today and gone tomorrow. Like this will carry on until Christ returns. Which puts it in perspective for us in terms of our own faith walk. Like we've given our lives to the Lord for those of us that have done that. But our faith journey is a long one. It goes into all of eternity. Year after year after year that Christ continues to shape us and form us until we get to see him face to face. That that's what it means to have faith in him. And so I just challenge us, what does that look like in your life? Like what does endurance look like in this season? What does it look like to keep your eyes fixed on Christ? And ultimately, what does it look like that he is the the starter, the initiator, the author of your faith, but also the perfecter of your faith? That day in and day out, he's the one that we look to. And so I just, I celebrate with you all that God is faithful and that he's real. And as I started this, this message, I cannot deny anymore the reality of who God is. And so if he's, if he's real, which I 100% believe he is, what does that mean for our lives? How does that transform and shape everything? Let me pray. Lord, we, we do thank you that you are a faithful God. Lord, you call us to run out on the ice. You call us to to be faithful too. But Lord, you ultimately are the faithful God. And I pray that we would be those that entrust our lives to you. That we would recognize you as a God that is still alive and active and moving. That we would recognize that you are the object of our faith. And so Lord, for those here that may not know you, I pray that they would understand what it means that you can be the object of their faith. That you can be the author of their faith. And Lord, for those of us that know you, would we just continue to understand at a daily level, even today and into tomorrow and into this week, what it means that you're continuing to work in our lives and transform us. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for their faithful partnership. I thank you that we get to celebrate stories of transformation, stories of change, stories of people coming to you all over this world because of their faithfulness and their partnership and their heart for the gospel. And so we give you the thanks and praise in your name.